0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast, hosted by Elliot
0: Shure Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come um all right the new cba i feel like do you have any other sixers thing before we get into cba no and okay.
1: this so keep in mind as we try to discuss the new cba a little bit and i'm gonna pull up some stuff right now do so all this is still just like reported details we right, don't actually perfect. know what the full shape of it is going to be uh so that's just something as just a, a bit of context like i don't know mm-hmm. Much beyond what has been thrown out there by various reporters at this point.
0: So there's a few key elements that I think. Again, this could change, but key elements of it I want to talk about. The first is, and i am be curious if you agree. This is <clears throat> the biggest one, but a game minimum to win NBA awards. I think was it 64 games. 65, you
1: have to- I believe, is the 65.
0: Term. All right, so you have to play 65 games to win a uh, to win MVP. What do you think of that?
1: I, it already effectively existed in the first place. So I I think it's bad in the sense that, look, if just a bunch of guys miss games for whatever reason, then you don't have the ability to say, all right, this guy's 64 was more valuable than this guy's 64. Like, mm. I, I think it should be, I don't think it should matter for things like all-star. I think that's just, Whoever people want to see yeah. and all that, that's great. I do think there should be an availability element to MVP and All-NBA and Defensive Player of the Year. All the, the year-end like, important awards, I absolutely agree. But it always has existed. There has mm-hmm. not been an MVP. And maybe Joel is going to buck this trend this year. There has not been an MVP to play less than 70 games in a full season since Bill Walton did it in the 70s. And that was a really unique case. They were coming off of the Blazers had won the title over the Sixers, by the way, had <laughs> won four straight games in the finals. And they came out to start the next year and looked even better. Walton was like very clearly the best player in the league. I want to say when he went down, they were like 42 and 10 or something crazy record wise. Yeah. And so that was like, I get it. I understand why you give it to them there. It just doesn't happen. They, they, Always throw like with Joel specifically. We've heard over and over again. Availability is a problem for him relative to you know Jokic or not Giannis this year because Giannis I think has actually played less games than Joel. Mm -hmm. But so I just think it's trying to solve a problem that doesn't actually exist when it comes to the awards voting. Now I guess you could say this just takes it out of the media's hands. They don't you don't even factor in the the availability part, either they hit the qualifier or they didn't. And so that's freeing in some ways. But I still think if a guy plays 65 versus 80, I do think there are still going to be people who say sure. the guy who played 80 is just more valuable. And that's still going to be a thing. So I, I just I and honestly, my big complaint on the details I've seen about the CBA in general is that they're fixing problems that don't actually exist in reality. Mm-hmm. And they might honestly be adding more issues than they're solving with what they're doing. So I didn't love that, but you know, I I don't think it's like that big of a deal.
0: Well, to your point, all that's going to happen is in the next, you know, hopefully once you get your well-deserved MVP vote and you're writing your column (laughs) or whoever, someone's just going to be like, look, they both met the minimum, but you know, Jokic played 73 and Embiid played 64 and that matters when you, you know, but like, so ultimately, the MVP is a subjective award. Unless we're going to just make it where, and I don't know if this is a great solution, but let's say they made it where whoever averages the most, most combined point rebounds assist on a top four team in their conference is eligible for, like wins the award, right? Where there's just a clear line of like, this is what the MVP is. Until we do that, it's always going to be subjective. Right now, games played feels like a really big deal, mostly because people are mad because they the perceiv- the perception is players take games off. And there is some truth to that. But I don't like the idea of in October to keep a running theme with the month of Joel Embiid, you know, being legitimately sitting there and going, "Mm, I could play, I couldn't play. Well, I better make sure I get to those 64 games. And he pushes himself. Like, I think it's always so easy for other people to tell athletes what they should do with their bodies in terms of whether they are ready to play, whether they should play, whether they want to push it, whether they don't. And so adding this just completely arbitrary 64 game number, feels silly to me. And it feels like it's just going to result in players playing when they shouldn't be playing or players injuring themselves because they're not going, they're going to be pushing it. And it's to your point about creating more problems, it's definitely not solving a problem. No one's going to write their MVP column and go, well, they met 64. So let's no longer discuss availability. Of course, it's always going to be discussed. That's part of it, right? It's a subjective award. And this happens a lot with MVP too, where we go, well, this guy won it five years ago for this reason. So why shouldn't this guy win it this year for that reason? You can always find reasons people win awards. At the end of the day, it's what those media members decide that year. So I don't like it. I don't think it should be in there. I, and I think it it doesn't solve any problems because people are still going to sit there and go, well, he played more games. And to me, or the, as, as a voter, that matters to me. Some voters won't care. Some will. And that's not going to change your opinion on how you feel about it. So here's a
1: change that they made. I actually liked all NBA will be positionless now. And that is going to write one of the real crimes of the last two years, which is that Joel was runner up in MVP and then second team. All well, NBA. Let me ask you
0: this, though. Do you think that voters are still going to try to build a team? Cause I agree. It's not like,
1: I mean, there will be some people who do. I think some people will just say, I'm going to build it two guards, two forwards That's what I mean. in a center but I, I don't think that's like across the board and i do think the further we move into the future and the more that the more younger voters you get in who grew up in a world where basketball. the league is more positionless like i don't i don't think they give a shit about that stuff yeah. like jokic is essentially playing point guard for denver for example so even like listing him as a the, as a center the same way you would list joel is just Kind of silly in many ways, yeah. like it's just arbitrary. So I do think there are some maybe more old school people, or even like former players that are from you know more more recent eras, but not part of the era that's this like shape shifting, mm-hmm. every guy is six eight and above type league. That they'll say no, I want I want a guard on my team, and they'll vote it that way. But I it, it at least to at least give them the option, so we don't run into this false choice where it's either well, I have to pick Jokic or I have to pick Embiid, when like very clearly these guys are two of the top five players in the regular season, in the, in the league, easily. Like, easily. They've been the top two MVP guys now and likely for the third straight year in a row. So to say that one of them is not worthy of first-team All-NBA is just a, a really silly thing that I'm glad that they're fixing in the sense that now you can at least make that choice.
0: I, I agree with you. It'll be interesting to see if there's some years where it's like five guards or, or however it plays out. It should just be the five best players. I think that's what makes the most sense. Super quick tangent. You said Jokic is definitely one of the five best players in the league. I'm curious, if you were a GM and you're sitting there at five in a draft of all the players, would you take Jokic as your first pick at five? At five? Yeah, Like so. I'm saying. So four players have gone. Let's say it's in some order. Embiid, Giannis, whoever, uh, Luca, whoever. Like, would, do you actually think Jokic is valued as a top five player and like where you, where he would so go- Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. look, uh, he would not for playoff specific reasons, I would have my concerns about him. But if you just get down to brass tacks, he makes their offense so good that yeah. in the regular season, their defense doesn't even really matter that much. Like they outscore teams by so much with him on the floor that it neutralizes all the defensive concerns. Now, if we're talking about, you know, once you get to the playoffs and the game is slower and the defenses are better and all that and the margins shrink, yeah, then his flaws become a lot more apparent and they get punished easier and so on and so forth, yeah. but if like if you're a GM and part of your job is just looking out for your own job security, <laughs> that guy is walking job security. Like they had nobody yeah. on their team last year. And still won forty eight games because he was so good on offense. So yeah. he's somebody that's going to give you a lot of leeway and a lot of flexibility to build, you know, other stuff. I do think the defensive concerns are a lot more limiting than you would think, and and as far as roster building goes. But yeah, like I think it, you'd have to be a, a pretty big hater, and I like of Jokic to uh, to say that you're not I taking him up on, on fire he's averaging like a 24, 25-point triple-double on the number one seed in the West. Um, no,
0: you're probably right about that. But uh, So the other part of the CBA that I thought was interesting was that players are now going to be allowed to invest in teams, um, both NBA and WNBA teams, right? I'm not mistaken. Was that not reported?
1: And they're also allowed to invest in uh, sports gambling, which is yeah. where I think it really is like going off the rails. I'm not, that's right. And that's not to disparage sports gambling or anything like that, especially anyone who'd be sponsoring our uh, wonderful (laughs) podcast. But I I am pretty concerned about where this is
0: going, where it's like. So I actually think players should be allowed to gamble. We don't, and this might turn into like a 15 minute debate, but I, I just think there's this perception that if they were allowed to gamble, it would, you know, they'd be throwing games and all this stuff. Ultimately their job security matters. I think more than the bets they would place, but for in terms of investing in teams, like, am I reading this right or understanding it that you could be an active player in the NBA and have an investment in a team? Like like the Sixers could it give you It seems Joel. crazy. Like, I, I don't what really if you got traded? Like, What if you had an investment in the team and then you got traded?
1: It's a great question, Alex. Right, like, I what would you had do? an answer like, for you. We're uh, we'll part, part owner of the, the Sixers the actual thing for the Lakers? It might. So the way it was worded, it might be a thing where you're more investing in I'm trying to think of what to compare it to. Like, say you're investing in a, in the stock market in like a, an index fund where it's a bunch of different, it's like, maybe there'll be like an NBA index fund and it's more like that. You're not. So it's not like LeBron's playing for the Lakers but he's invested in the new Vegas expansion team. It's more LeBron's playing for the Lakers and he has, you know, X percent equity in this NBA index fund. And maybe that's how it works. That would make more sense to me than like, Hey, I own part of the team I'm playing for. And now I just got traded and I have to, I I have to liquidate my shares. Or maybe like,
0: or maybe the shares don't, go to you until you retire but i like i don't even know how that would work either like and I, i'll be curious to see how, if it turns into a negotiating uh, a negotiating ploy like yeah we can offer you a max deal but we'll also give you three percent of this fr- like how that will play out so i'd imagine to your point once this all comes out clear like i don't think i'm the first person or we're the first people to think of these problems i'm sure they've they've thought about it and uh and what it'll mean but i thought that one was interesting um the in-season tournament Like, have you seen any reported details on that or how that'll work? It just seems
1: like they're going to play normal games and give them some branding and they'll sell it to sponsors. Like all the teams? Or is it like... As far as I can tell, yeah. You're going to have pool play early in the season, which I don't know how you make that equal with, you know, if you're just playing normal games. If the Sixers play like the fucking Charlotte Hornets, (laughs) the Bucks and Celtics play each other, or the Nuggets and Suns play each other, like, those are not equal games that you're considering for so i i don't know how you monitor that and then you know we've had all these discussions about and this whole games played thing because the league is pissed about load management and the fans are angry about it and we got to make sure guys play more games well they literally added an 83rd game to the season for whoever (laughs) goes to the final like what are we doing yeah the total opposite needs to happen. You need to play less games and for more of those games to be meaningful. And these guys have decided not only are we not going to do that, we're actually going to make sure that the team who competes the hardest actually has to play more games. That's the wow. most absurd thing I've ever heard.
0: What's going to be funny is in like three years when we're debating MVP and it's like, well, he met the games required. He was, you know, the most valuable player of the playing tournament, or you know, like the whatever they end up calling it, the Kia playoff, whatever, like tournament, like people end up dictating these things based off this dumb tournament. Now, if you it take look, it's
1: a cherry on top. It's, Hey, he won the, won the that's what I mean. The, it's, it's another one. Tournament. Yeah. And then he it'll be the like Adam well, silver cup.
0: Well, yeah, the Adam silver cup, what it'll turn into is like at the end of season saying, well, Joel Embiid's not clutch. It's like, well, he was great in the you know Kia midseason, whatever. Like, you know, where, where are you gonna? Or when we're d- discussing all-time great players, he is you're, getting a lot of free
1: advertising on
0: this. Podcast. I know. I'm trying to think you of something I see a lot with uh with NBA, but it'll like at the end of careers, we'll be sitting here and going. So Embiid never won a title, but he does hold three in-season tournament championships. Like, how do you like even dictate that stuff? So. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, I'm trying to think what other CBA stuff there was. There seems like a so tax the,
1: actually the most meaningful stuff for the Sixers seems to be the financial that stuff, right? There are changes to how high spending teams can operate. Yeah. So my basic understanding of it is that once teams are a certain level over the apron of the tax line, you are no longer going to have access to the taxpayer mid-level exception which is what they used to or no they did not use they used the biannual on daniel house and they used mm-hmm. the regular midsection the mid-level exception <laughs> on pj but theoretically next year they were going to have that would be one of their you know main tools to try to sign somebody um and i i don't know why they're doing this other than they're trying to protect cheap ass owners and other markets, Mm -hmm. it strikes me as something. And there are other consequences too. If you go above this second apron, I believe you're not going to be able to send money in a trade. So essentially you can't uh, buy a second round pick. There are some other stipulations as well. So it just seems like this is like giving owners an excuse to cheap out. mm -hmm. And I don't like, like, look, I wish that life and the NBA were a level playing field and every owner spent the same and was willing to spend the same. And all it comes down to was basketball evaluation and things like that. And not, do you live in Miami or (laughs) your team in LA Like, like that? But that's not the world we live in. And the world we live in is some owners say, I'm willing to pay an extra $150 million if it means my team has a chance to win a title or a better chance to win a title. And I think they should be like, that's what sports are about. If like you're rewarded you, for that. From the ownership level on down, you're willing to go the extra mile to try to put a winner on the floor. I don't think you should be essentially disincentivized to do that. I, I understand the league is trying to make it so that teams in the smaller markets with you know owners that are not as wealthy as the Steve Ballmers of the world can go out there and and try to compete for titles. And, you know, maybe this has some interesting consequences for roster building that it, the teams that draft well, just have a better chance to win. I just, I think it, we'll see how it all shakes out, but I, I I think it shouldn't be punitive if an owner says, yeah, I'm willing to spend whatever it takes to put the best team on the floor. Like that's what you should want. Like like if you're Mm -hmm. a fan looking at the league or if you're a fan, just looking at the team you root for, what you should want is an owner who says, I don't give a shit about the luxury tax. I'll pay that every year. I'll pay that as many years as it takes for us to win a championship. And then we can evaluate after. So I, I'm i a little disappointed in that. But we'll see uh, what the rest of the player movement type stuff comes out when they ratify this.
0: Well, and it'll also, and I, I agree with everything you just say, just said there. It'll also be interesting to see like when that starts, because I think there's also a somewhat unfair competitive penalty if all of a sudden you go, like, by the way, Sixers, new rule, you can't use the thing you were planning on using next year. Like the Sixers to a certain extent have made roster moves, you know, because I know the Eagles do this, like thinking about 2027, 20, like maybe that's a little far out, but so even if they, you know, agree to a new CBA and some of these new rules are instantly. Put into place like the 64 game or 65 games, the uh, play in tournament or the mid season tournament. I do think there is some real, like, logical fairness to saying, okay, guys, you get two years to adjust to this because teams plan out like in this and to your point that that was going to be a somewhat important chip for the Sixers in terms of adding someone to the roster and now if they can't do it that that just seems unfair
1: it does for the reporting suggests that they're going to bring this in over time so I yeah. don't think it shouldn't necessarily impact them right away it could impact them you know three years down the road or whatever it is but you know we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there I just I don't like that as an on-paper concept, we'll yep. see what the full yeah. picture. is.